0: Philippians chapter 3 uh, is one of those, sh- well, this section of Philippians 3, is one of those chapters, one of those sections that, that uh, there's so much encouragement in Philippians that, that you're like, yes, this is great. And then there's a few spots in Philippians where it's, it's a bit challenging and it's confrontational. And that is happening here in this section of chapter 3. Paul is going to confront the church, not in a way to. Uh, uh, to discourage them, but to kind of say, hey, we got to open our eyes up and realize that we can be led the wrong direction. We can be led astray if we're not careful. I can remember back in the day, many of you may be able to remember this, when the pinnacle of popularity was that you get to have your face printed on a Wheaties breakfast cereal box. Like you, you knew that you had made it if you got your face on a Wheaties box. Uh, remember, Mary Lou Retton, probably as far back as I can remember, uh, Mary Lou Retton, she was uh, the first American gymnast, a female gymnast, to win all-around gold at the 1984 Olympics. And uh, I remember going to the grocery store and seeing this smiley face on, on the Wheaties box, Mary Lou. Everybody, Everybody loved Mary Lou. Uh, A few years later, you started to see this great basketball player named Michael Jordan. He had won multiple NBA championships over the years, and so a number of times his face landed on that Wheaties cereal box covers. Now, the the idea is uh, that you'll go into the grocery store, you'll see that, and you'll think, wow, if I buy that, and eat those Wheaties, then I'm probably going to be s- able to do some sort of a quadruple backflip vault and win a gold medal. Or maybe I'll buy a box and start practicing my layups because apparently it worked for Michael Jordan. Advertisers are smart. Uh, they know that we're always looking for somebody to try to be like. They're, they're, they know that there's somebody that we want to, um, to idolize or to, to, uh, to, to mimic and so they put celebrities on the covers of cereal boxes. They used to. Times have changed a little bit. You might have noticed that. That was the 80s. We're not in the 80s anymore. With the advent of the smartphone and social media, we're, we're not as taken with athletes the same way that we were. Now everything is about being an influencer. Maybe you've heard that term. Today, if you have an Instagram account or a TikTok account, with thousands of followers, then you have the potential of influencing millions of people. Just little old me or you, that can happen. When you add up all the likes and the shares and and then, of course, the algorithms that that the, uh, uh, the companies who run these things use to promote you, to get other people to view your post and to like you and start following you, then the potential reach from one person to reach around the world is vast. And advertisers know that. So they're willing to pay. Pay to get their product placed or to send you to a place to get your picture taken or to have an idea presented uh, through your social media account. The other day I saw a picture on Instagram of it was just of a of a mom holding her child and in the other hand she had a duracell battery <laughs> I'm like what how does that go together and she was just being paid to advertise duracell on instagram now most of us are not considering uh, are, are not considered and hopefully not considering uh, to be social media influencers i'm i'm not encouraging you to make that your life aim <laughs> i think that there are soul sucking with social media that you have to be aware of, but all of us do need to recognize that we are influenced. Doesn't matter who we are. Every one of us looks for someone. We look out there at others that we want to follow or pattern our lives after. I I remember being a little boy, and uh, if Pastor Mike was here, he would remember this as well because he used to tease me. I was in his uh, uh, Awana's group, And when I was a little boy, the the show Miami Vice came out and Walmart started selling those cool white jackets that they used to wear on that show. And so I was like 10 years old wearing this cool white jacket. And then I went and got the glasses. And so I'm a little boy thinking that that's who I want to be. Thankfully, God changed my heart (laughs) about that. Sometimes we make good choices in, in who we want to follow or mimic, and other times we make bad ones. Well, Paul knew this to be true. He knew this to be true about himself, so he's not just looking at it at the church and saying, you all have this thing going on, this issue. Paul knows this is true about himself, and he knows this to be true of us as Christians, and so he writes this starting in verse 17. He says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That's a pretty bold suggestion or command to make. Hey, join in imitating me. It almost sounds like Paul is trying to build himself up, build up his following. Like he's, if he was alive today, he was kind of shamelessly becoming an influencer. Hey, please like my post. But that's not What he's saying here. This phrase join in imitating me. It's translated from a single compound Greek word. Which is really a fascinating word. Because it's the only time that this word is used in the Bible. For one thing. But also. It's the only time that it's ever been found to be used. In ancient Greek literature. So. Paul actually invents a new word to describe what he is calling the Philippians to. He's calling us to a, a, a form of life, a way of life that's different than what the world calls us to or that has ever really been presented and Paul kind of makes up a word to make us understand what he's saying a literal translation of the word would read, be a fellow imitator of me. Fellow imitator of me. Now, Paul's not saying I imitate myself. He is identifying himself as an imitator who's inviting the Philippians to then follow along with him and imitate him as he is an imitator. Hopefully that doesn't confuse you fellow imitator Paul sees himself as an imitator he gets it he knows I'm imitating someone and I'm calling you to imitate me as I imitate as well of course that raises the question then of who is it that Paul is imitating right well uh there's a couple places in Scripture where we find out who it is. Specifically, Paul gives a direct answer to that question in the book of First Corinthians, in First Corinthians chapter 11. Paul has been uh, exhorting, encouraging, challenging the church in Corinth to live out their faith in such a way where they're they're, they're uh, sharing Christ with other people, but they're not offending other people while they're doing it. Now that we have uh, uh, a group that's that's uh, s- serving in a, a, a mission that reaches across the world. And if you've ever gone out on a mission, you know that if you go into a- another culture, another environment, uh, you don't necessarily bring your uh, um, American way of life, <laughs> the American way of doing things, into that culture and impose it upon them. You go, how do y'all do it here? What kind of food do you have here? What language do you speak here? You kind of try to find out what would be offensive if I, if I came and said this. Would that offend anybody? And, and you, you make adjustments so that you can present the gospel in a way that people can receive it and not be offended by the way that you're, you're doing it. Paul was talking to the Corinthians about that because the Corinthian church was in a city that had all kinds of people from all over the world coming in, and they needed to be able to make those adjustments even in their own City in their own life. And ultimately, he sums it up this way. He says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, be imitators of me. There, there's not the same word, not fellow imitators, but he's saying, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. So Paul tells us directly who it is that he seeks to imitate, it's Jesus Christ. Now, Paul isn't saying this is exclusive to him. If you go back in F- his letter to Philippians chapter 2, which we've studied If you go back to chapter 2, verse 5, Paul has already kind of called the church to do this. He did it in different words. He really expanded it it out. In essence, he set Jesus as the example, and he said, uh, God became man, humbled himself, came into this world as a man in order to rescue humanity. And that mindset that Jesus had of humbling himself to come to rescue us, that mindset is what should is the mindset that we need to have as we live out our lives? Paul put it this way in Second uh, or in Philippians chapter two, verse five. He said, "Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." And then he went on to to describe uh, the incarnation and and life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. The idea here was to let the life of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus be the thing that shapes our understanding of how we're called to live our lives out together. That when we're trying to figure out how do we do this, we look to Jesus and we follow him. Be like Jesus. So Paul's exhortation is, let's imitate Jesus together. That's ultimately what he's saying. Church, let's imitate Jesus together and you can look at me, Paul says, as an example of how to do that. Of course, it's not only Paul that they can look at. Notice he says, us, there at the end of verse 17, he says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those, that's other believers, who walk according to the example you have in us. It's sort of a, a discipleship that's taking place where you have, you have more mature believers in the congregation, and Paul's talked about them uh, here in Philippians already, and he's saying, you have some examples already, and those examples are following our example, and so follow their example. They're going to be the ones, uh, well, he's talking specifically about Timothy and Epaphroditus, Timothy and Epaphroditus are with Paul, but they're going to be coming back to Philippi with this letter from Paul while he's still in prison. And Paul says, look at them. You can follow them as a pattern of what it means to walk with Jesus as well. Now, let's just take a second here and let's, let's think about our own lives. Think about the people you've looked to as an example to follow after in your life. So, so we all have those people. Maybe it's in your profession. Is there someone that you modeled yourself after in your line of work? Maybe it's been in a sport or a hobby. You might have had a coach that had a particularly uh, profound impact upon you. Not just teaching you how to play, but using that sport to teach you how to live. That's awesome. What about in your marriage if you're married or, or as a parent if you have children? Is there someone that you look to as a model for how to love your spouse or how to guide your children? I remember the first time my wife told me that there was somebody that she had that was really a, 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 like an example of this to her or, or somebody that was a confidant to her. My first thought was, oh no, what'd you tell him? Because <laughs> I know. She, she's got to deal with this guy me, (laughs) but I was glad to know that she had somebody that she knew that I've watched their life and I know that I can go to them for good counsel, good guidance. What about you? Do you realize that there are people who watch you? different seasons of our life, different people will watch us. And so, do you recognize that your life is setting an example in one way or another? There have been a few people that I would consider as mentors in different areas of my own life, Um, people I've learned a lot from. Uh, One of them I got to meet up with this last week. Uh, uh, We had lunch with Pastor Mike and Janine, and so I feel weird holding that, <laughs> that, that gift from OCC because really they should be the ones holding that. But, but it's so, it just so nice to, to hang out and, and I've got somebody who's an example that I can follow. I tell you what's most impactful though. What's been most impactful in my life, mentors that I've had, is not so much what they've said. As a matter of fact, I, don't always, I rarely remember what they have said to me, the words that they've used. But it's the way that they've lived. How they lived in front of me. And Paul keys in on that in verse 17. Did you notice he said, Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So it's not just people who know what we've said, but it's do they live it? How they live it? that's what you want to key in on. Keep your eyes on them and follow after them. So why is this so important? Why does it matter who we look up to as mentors? Who we imitate? Why does it matter who we let influence us in how we live our lives as Christians? Well, Paul gives two reasons why it's really important. One is a negative reason and one is going to be positive. In verse 18, he says, For many... Of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So obviously this is the negative reason why we want to be careful who we follow. Because not everybody is actually following Jesus. Not everybody who professes. Christ, who believes in Jesus, will then take up the cross and follow him. Paul says that this happens, he's talked about it, and it's heartbreaking to him. It's tear inducing. There have always been those in the church who profess to love Jesus, but who live as enemies of his cross. See, we can say one thing, we can know all the right things to say. We, we may even believe the right things. But then we choose to live in a way that contradicts the cross, that self-giving, loving, sacrificial life. That's the, the way of Christ, and we live opposite of that. Well, who are these people? Paul, Paul says there's three things that stand out about them. So he says you'll see their example You'll know them. Number one, their God is their belly. First time I read that, I was like, oh no, I like food. But that's not what it means. This means that they're driven by their bodily appetites. Let me unpack it a little bit more. It means that they're not led by the Spirit, but they follow after the desires of their flesh. That's what drives them. As a Christian... I may be enticed and, and I may want something, but the Spirit of God is going, don't do it, don't do it. It's not, that, that's not what you really want. That's, God has something better for you. Trust me, follow Christ. And if I ignore that and pursue what my flesh wants, that's what this is talking about. Then I'm making my belly my God. And, and this is not having a bad day. This isn't just going, oh man, I blew it today. I blew it like a hundred times today. It's just a bad day. God forgive me. I'm going to start afresh tomorrow. This is a pattern of life that he's talking about. That pattern of life of not walking by the Spirit, but walking in the flesh. Secondly, he says, they glory in their shame. This means that there's not a practice of repentance in their life, where this becomes so normal to them that they start Defending and glorifying and justifying their sin rather than turning from it. Become proud about it. Martin Luther said it right. He said the Christian life is a life of repentance. Like our whole life is lived out in repentance. Now he's not talking about we need to go around beating ourselves up feeling guilty all the time before God, but he's saying that the more that we grow in the Lord, the more we realize how dependent we are upon his forgiveness and his grace. We just realize, oh God, you are good because I'm a mess. He's saying there's people out there that they, don't, they will not acknowledge that. They glory in their shame. Number three, their minds are set on earthly things. Again, this isn't talking about, well, they have a nice house. Well, shame on them for having a nice house. That's not what it's talking about. This speaks of being focused on personal gratification. They're not concerned with what's pleasing to God. They just want to do what is pleasing to themselves. They don't turn their attention upward. They are only focused on what they can get out of this world, this life. If you live your life that way, That's actually the opposite of sacrificial love. That is the opposite of self-giving. It's the opposite of the way of Jesus, and it is opposed to the cross of Christ. And Paul says that living that life ends in destruction. And so as we walk with the Lord, we see people who follow this pattern. They can talk the talk and they may know good theology, but they live governed by their flesh and apart from true repentance, do you follow their life, it ends in their life unravels, it becomes, it, it's destroyed. In his commentary on this passage, uh, one, one of the, the, the commentaries I like to read, an author named Stephen Fowle, it's kind of a bad name, <laughs> Fowl. He writes and he points out that this is a good warning. And we need to hear it. Don't think of this as, oh, that's good for someone else. Church, we need to hear this as, this is good for us to hear and take in and receive and take heart. He writes, it's up on the screen, small and a lot of, a lot of words. Whoever these believers are, We must assume that as Christians, they did not set out to become enemies of the cross. Neither would they have characterized themselves that way. Rather, Paul claims that because of the way they walk, because of their distorted patterns of thinking, feeling, and acting, they have become enemies of the cross. Through a set of decisions and actions unknown to us, which probably seemed benign, maybe even good to them, they now find themselves in a position where they're no longer capable of rightly recognizing God or God's purposes for them. It is crucial for contemporary Christians to recognize the ease with which this can happen. If we think of these characters as people who woke up one morning and simply decided to become enemies of the cross, then we ourselves will not be concerned with Paul's admonition because it couldn't conceivably apply to us. Who? In other words, Paul doesn't give the warning because we don't need it. As you read your Bible, when you read the warnings in Scripture, don't think of someone else. Take it, receive it, it's for you, as, even as it's for me, because we need it. It's actually easier to follow that pattern of life, the, the pattern that he warns about, than it is to walk in the way of the cross. That's the easier path, it's more difficult to live a cross-centered life. The self-absorbed life, the desires for pleasure now, for power today, it seems like it, it appears to provide a good life that we all want to enjoy. And so we think, well, if we could just have that or get those things, then everything's going to be all right. But it's kind of like viewing life through someone else's Instagram feed. You're actually only seeing the image they want you to see. In that moment, oh, stop. Take that picture, put it out there, and everybody thinks, man, look at that. He's having so much fun. It's so good. I wish my, wa- my life was like that, and so we want to mimic that when that's not really how their life is. And so Paul says there's a better way There's a better pattern for us to follow. There is a way that ends not in destruction because that's where that will lead, but that does end in glory. The opposite. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even even to subject all things to himself. Now Paul adjusts his language here to speak to the specific cultural climate that the Christians in Philippi were absorbed in. He makes a little little change in his metaphor. Church, I think that the book of Philippians speaks to the church in America so clearly today. Because what he is saying here is exactly what we're dealing with right now in our own country. We spoke about this back in chapter 2 and if you remember, one of the things that made life in Philippi so unique was the cultural and political climate of that city. It's sort of like um, sort of like a Washington, D.C. type city. Philippi historically was founded by Caesar Augustus as a reward. This city, it was built as a place of reward for the retiring soldiers and their families who had just helped Augustus gain victory in his civil war against Mark Antony. So go back to BC 43, 42, 43, Uh, Augustus has this victory. He's headed back to Rome. He's got all these soldiers with him. Rome's not going to be able to handle all these guys and their families. They don't want to go back there. And so he goes to a place where he had a decisive victory. And in the spot where he had a decisive victory over Mark Antony in that war, he builds a city called Philippi. And he takes the best of his soldiers and their families and says, y'all can live here. This is yours. And... By living here, you actually get special status. You get tax breaks that other citizens in other cities of the empire won't have. And so there was this tremendous amount of national pride among those who lived in Philippi. And they wanted to be citizens there. Not only the Roman Empire, but in that city People from all over the empire wanted to be able to move to Philippi. And there was also this cult of Caesar worship that had developed because it was Caesar who gave them all of this and the phrase Caesar is Lord was commonly proclaimed there. And the belief was That if ever there was trouble, not only anywhere in the empire, but particularly in Philippi itself, it would be Caesar who would be the one who would ride in with his armies to their rescue. And so, Caesar is Lord, and we look to him to save us. Well, for the citizens of Philippi who became born again through faith in Jesus, their primary citizenship at that point, Paul is saying, changed. They were still living as citizens of the Roman Empire. They were still living as citizens of the city of Philippi, but their first allegiance was now to a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. And their Lord now was not Caesar. Their Lord is Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. So when your primary allegiance is to a king and a kingdom that is radically different in its ethics and its goals than the king and kingdom that you reside in, guess what happens? You're going to have some conflict. You're probably not going to be very popular (laughs) where you live. You may even suffer for the life choices that you make as you seek to honor King Jesus. That was certainly the model that Paul was living out, and Paul is telling them, follow me as I follow Christ. Where was Paul when he wrote this? In prison, in Rome. I think that Christians have the potential of being the best citizen of any kingdom or nation in the world. I think we shouldn't only have the potential, but as much as is possible, we should be those best citizens in any kingdom or nation in the world. But if we make it our goal to love and honor God and all, with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and strength, that, that's our goal each day as we go out, and we're going to make it our goal to love our neighbor, even as we love ourselves, then our lives are going to be lived out promoting and producing ultimately what is good for the world around us. And so that should be something that, you know, is great. That's, that's being a great citizen in the world around you. The reality is, though, those aren't the things that are being asked of us all the time or demanded of us. What honors God and what promotes the true well-being of others is not the formula that the world looks to follow. And so we run empty. Against it. The reality is that the values and goals that the kings and kingdoms of this world promote are, in fact, ultimately fleeting. They're always changing. The popularity and the power that might be gained from the world if we go after those things is temporary at best. So, Paul says, careful who you choose to model your life after, what you aim after. Follow me as I follow Christ. The life and victory and glory that awaits God's redeemed people at Jesus' return, that's going to be eternal. Paul says, don't keep your primary citizenship. Let that be the thing that directs how you live and you are citizens of heaven. So Paul, he he weeps as he writes this. Because he knows that there are going to be some in the church who follow the wrong examples and who will end up plodding along. Plodding along on a path to destruction. Never satisfied. Because what they're after can't satisfy. And see, he pleads with us. Pleads with us. Join with him. You remember what he had said la- wh- what we said last week, the metaphor he said last week was, "Don't plod along a path to destruction, but run your race with your eyes on the final prize. Push, press, Run, don't take your eyes off of that final press. Set your eyes on King Jesus on his kingdom, because that's the one that will never be moved. this isn't this is, He never said it would be easy, right? It's challenging. It's challenging. But let's not forget, our primary citizenship is in heaven. And let the kingdom of God and our King Jesus be the one who directs our life as we live out our lives in the kingdoms of this world. God, thank you for your word. This is a, a, a good word for us. It's a word of challenge um, in these days that we're in, and especially as we're, we're coming up on an, on an election. and um, Goodness, we would probably love to have other choices <laughs> in, in, in the decisions we have to make. But, but ultimately, Lord, our hope is in you. Our eyes are upon you. Uh, there's no nation, no kingdom that's going to last eternal except that which is Jesus's. And so, Lord, we pray that you help us to navigate these challenging, challenging days that we're in by following the example we have in Jesus Christ, by following the example that we have of mature believers around us who have walked for years. Help us, Lord. God, I pray for anyone here this morning that finds themselves being able to, to uh, uh, connect with that description of someone who is on a path to destruction, someone whose God is their belly, who glories in their shame. Oh, Lord, I pray that, that if, if your spirit is, is convicting in that area, that you would help us to repent, to ye- surrender those things, and to follow Jesus Christ. Take up our cross and follow him. Lord, if we love popularity, if we love um, the praise of others, so that it's, we're willing to do things that we shouldn't and go places we shouldn't and take in things that we shouldn't. Oh, God, we pray that you'll you help us to repent of that. Lord, our lives are not our own. They belong to you. And we want to be used by you all the days that you give us in this world. Help us, God, we pray. We thank you, God, that you have glory awaiting us. Not our own glory, but we get to step in and enjoy your glory when we get to see you. Look forward to that day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.